Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for your goodness to us, for all good gifts coming down from you. Are, uh, they're from you. We acknowledge that, that you're a provider. You're the one who meets all of our needs. Forgive us when we confuse ourselves into thinking that we're our own providers and cause us to see you for your great goodness towards us. And Lord, may we not get tripped up on on, uh, trivial things, especially as we come into this season. May we not get our minds fixed on material things. But Lord, may we have our eyes fixed on you for who you are and for all that is ours in Christ Jesus, that we would continue to grow as a generous people. Take these, our tithes and our offerings, and make them effective for your purposes and for your great name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing, if you will, and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, and while you're turning there, uh, I did pray for Al and Val this morning. Uh, Al has been moved to hospice, I think most of you know that, this week from the email. Uh, continues to be kind of the same, but if, if you feel like uh, stopping by there, Uh, Val would really benefit from uh, the encouragement of a visit, even if it's just for five minutes to go and hold her hand and pray with her. Uh, She's losing a husband of many, many years, and uh, this is a a challenging time. And so just mention that to you if the Lord leads you to do that and encourage her. Keep her in your prayers. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear and understandable. We thank you that it is sufficient for all life and godliness. We thank you that it is active and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword, that it can do a work in the innermost parts of our lives. And so we pray this morning that you would take your word and make it effective to do that in our hearts, which we need done. You know each of us here. You know what each of us are dealing with and facing. And so you, by your Holy Spirit, we pray, would you work in our hearts, that we would leave today not the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, this Advent season, we are looking at some of the reasons why Jesus came. And last week, we looked at 
the fact that He came as a ransom for many. He came to die. Jesus was born so that He would die to give His life to pay for our sin, to satisfy the just wrath of God. And today, we consider this notion that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, maybe this doesn't sound very Christmassy, and I will go ahead and admit it doesn't to me either. Uh, but as I wrote down reasons why Jesus came, this one, well, it, it made the list. Um, there are a number of reasons why Jesus came. I'm not trying to give you the top five reasons. I'm just, this, this is what I kind of settled on. And it's interesting how in God's providence, he brings um, so many things that kind of reaffirm this is the, the, right, uh, the right topic. And anyone who was at the Women's Refuge Gala last night will understand what I'm getting at by the time, because we heard so much about this last night. So Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. Well, who is the devil? The devil is a liar. He's a thief. He has come to steal and kill and destroy. That's his mission. Doesn't mean he gets to do all of that, but that's his intention. The devil prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Scripture tells us to resist the devil so that he will flee from us, which implies he's after us, right? Scripture tells us to be careful not to be puffed up with pride so as not to fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil, which tells us what? The devil lays snares. He lays traps. We're told in Scripture not to sin in our anger so as to give no opportunity to the devil. Which means what? He's looking for opportunities. So we know some things about this very real enemy. And we may not like to think about him, and we may not like to talk about him at Christmas, but this is one of the reasons Jesus came, was to destroy the work of Satan. And this is really, really good news, not only for us now in this Christmas season, but really all year long. Now, as we talk about any aspects of the gospel, we tend to hit on this notion of the now and the not yet. We've talked about this before. You've heard it from uh, other pastors as well, I'm sure. But this notion of the now and not yet is something that helps us understand gospel reality. So we talk about things like we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We use words like justification to describe the fact that we are saved We're held secure in Christ, but he is doing a work in us, sanctification. That's the the process of of being saved. It doesn't mean we're not saved. It's just that there's an active work. We didn't just get fire insurance that we say, I can go and do whatever I want. God's not interested in how I live because I, you know, prayed a prayer or walked an aisle. That's, That's not biblical Christianity, right? God's not done with us. He's doing a work in us. He's sanctifying us, conforming us into the image of his son. And then there's something that we all wait, and that's the await. That's the consummation of the fulfillment of all the promises, glorification, when everything will be made as it should be. And so even though legally we understand that we are counted righteous right now because of the finished work of Christ, we're all sinners. Now, some of you, you know, may, may not be as aware of this as I am, but, I, you know, it. This morning before, this this afternoon after, all of us are going to be confronted with opportunities where we're reminded 
we're all going to sin <laughs> because it's who we are. And even though we grow and we mature and we sin less, our hearts are like onions, you know. The Lord continues to peel them back and He deals with some things and He grows us in that. And we see a conquering of that sin only to reveal that there's something else a little deeper in there that needs to be dealt with. And so God is doing this work in our lives. Well, in the same way, I think that we can say that the works of Satan were defeated. Jesus came and crushed the head of the serpent, as was promised in Genesis 3.15. On the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus did that very thing, crushed the head of the serpent. But there's this now and not yet aspect to it, isn't there? Because Satan is still roaring like a lion, acting like a thief, a killer, seeking to destroy. He's doing all these things. And so there's this not yet component to it as well. And so Satan is defeated. He knows he's defeated. But somehow in the reality of space and time and the fact that we're in it and God's not, there's this not yet aspect to it. And so we can say that Satan is being defeated now and will be defeated finally. In his closing, or the closing of his letter to Romans, Paul writes, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. If you grew up and are my age or younger, you sang that song in VBS at some point and jumped up and down when you sang it. There's this future tense aspect. So he's defeated, he's crushed. And yet there's this future tense aspect of he will be crushed. And then there's this whole thing about under your feet, Paul writes. So God is going to do something through his church in defeating Satan. It isn't that what Jesus did wasn't sufficient, but us as his body are going to be used in the defeat of Satan. So there's this ongoing aspect. And then there's this future aspect. And John, in his book Revelation, writes looking forward, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. Satan knows his time is short. He knows he's defeated. And so we see in all of these aspects this now and not not yet tension. And so what has been completed is not yet fully realized, just like with our salvation. We know it's certain. We know that it's sure. We don't waver in that. But we know that we still struggle with sin. Until Jesus returns or until we die and we're glorified, we know that we're going to continue to struggle with sin. And so in the same way, the battle against the works of the devil continues. That's why John can write, he knows his time is short. Satan's on a leash. His days are numbered. And all he can do is the work of a vandal in the life of Christians. Hear me out on this. Satan cannot steal your salvation. He is a vandal at best. He will do everything he can to make you think he can, And he will do everything he can to make you think he can destroy you. But he cannot. He whispers lies. He is day and night. Revelation 12 says day and night he stands accusing us. Us, believers, children of faith. So he is on the prowl. He is not inactive. But he mars and he tricks and he graffitis our lives. But he cannot 
destroy us. No one can pluck us out of the Savior's hand, including Satan. And so, just like we say we are saved, justification, we are being saved, sanctification, and we will be saved, glorification, we can look at the works of the devil in the same way. They have been destroyed, they are being destroyed, and they will be destroyed. There is something to the fulfillment of it that we have yet to see. And so let's look now at 1 John 3 to see how this is happening. The first thing that John focuses on is on this love that has been poured out to us in Christ. He says, see what kind of love. And literally, the translation of this is, see from what country this love is. So every place this phrase is used, it's talking about, uh, it's used to, to announce exclamation, which is what it's doing here. It's, you may have behold in your translation. We talked about behold a few weeks ago. Behold is that key word that's designed to get your attention. Look, see, pay attention. And that's what John is saying here. But he uses this phrase that can be translated, see from what country. In other words, it's, it's almost, I don't know what John's intention was, but it's almost like he's, he's saying this, this love is out of this world. It's, it's foreign. It's, this is a love you've never known, you've never understood, you've never seen. This agape love from God is this unconditional, incredible, amazing love. So much so, it's from this other world, that this world doesn't know us because it didn't know Him. That's what he goes on to say. So it's beyond this physical world. It's beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. And note that he draws attention to the fact that not only has God done this in saving us, but then he reiterates the fact that we are his children, and so we are. It's John's way of saying it's, you're not hoping to be his children, you're not trying to be his children, you're not wishing you were his children. If you are by faith in Christ, you are a child of God. And so what Satan does is he comes along and he tries to convince us otherwise. Satan has numbers of tactics. He has lots of different ways he comes at us. At times, he comes and whispers lies. If you go back to the garden, what did he do? He came to Eve and first said, did God say? So he questions God's word. He questions God's authority. And every one of us are faced with the same onslaught by the world in which we live and our own time in which we live. Because there are continual questions of, does God's word really say? Or does it really mean that? Or is there a way to explain away that? And that's what the culture is constantly, I feel like, trying to do. And then Satan came after that and said, he didn't really say, you know, this is what's really going to happen. You're just going to, he knows you're going to become like him and you're going to be able to tell good from evil and you're going to become like God. So he totally makes up a lie. This is just a couple of the different tactics that he uses. But sometimes... Satan comes and whispers a truth. Now, how could a truth hurt? How could a truth be damaging? Well, a truth can be damaging when it's not the whole truth. That's why when we stand up in court, we promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why? Because a partial truth isn't the whole story. Satan ever whispered in your ear, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. Is that true? Yeah, we're not worthy. No one, no one of us is worthy. And yet, apart from the hope of the gospel, that is damning. 
Because the fact that we are not worthy. Cursed is the one who hasn't abided with the law, right? Because of that, we stand cursed apart from the hope of the gospel. But Romans 5, 6 says this. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Are we unworthy? Yes. But as Paul Harvey says, that's not the rest of this. Well, he doesn't say that, but to, to <laughs> improvise. That's not the rest of the story. There's more to the story. And that's why John can then write, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Even in our unworthiness, God sent Jesus to come and be born at Christmas time, which we celebrate, to die for you and me and to destroy the works of the devil. Now, some of you know this struggle well, and I can say some of us know this struggle well because I'm included in this. Those of you who are not comfortable in your own skin at times, you're constantly battling feeling, feelings of not measuring up, wishing that you had different skills or gifts or being envious of others or thinking that your skills and gifts don't matter or they're not good enough wishing your body looked different or waiting to, 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 to wishing you had something or waiting to have something that will do for other people what you, you can't do for them. How many times have you heard somebody sing a solo and think, oh, I wish I could sing like that. Anyone who's ever heard the microphone turned on when I sing know why I say that. Uh, the, the, the point is, is that we can often get focused inwardly, navel gaze, right? And we look at ourselves and we look at all of the ways that we don't measure up and we dwell on that. And we dwell on the the, the fact that you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. And it's true. We're not worthy. There's, There's nothing in us that says, I'm righteous, pick me. There are none righteous. No, not one. But if all we do is focus on that first part and we don't get to the gospel, then this then Satan is having success in that. And so this is what I'm getting at. One of the ways in which we see the works of Satan being destroyed right now in our own lives is by the proclamation of the gospel to ourselves. It is speaking, it is singing, it is sometimes screaming to yourself, Jesus saves. While you were a sinner, in your ungodliness, He sent His Son to die for you. Not because you're worthy, but He's made you worthy. Because you're now His. It's not because of anything you have done, but because He set His affection on you for His glory and for His own namesake. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Past tense, we look at the cross and we see that. We see Him destroying the works in the present tense through the proclamation, the faith in the gospel, that day in and day out where we refuse to listen to the lies of Satan and we hold on, we cling to the truth of the gospel. That is fighting for faith. That is fleeing the devil so that, or resisting the devil so that he flees from you. That's what that looks like. It's holding on to truth, remembering truth, coming back to truth. Who is Christ and what he has done for me? And so this we see Satan's works are being destroyed before us then when we proclaim that salvation that is ours. Satan's works are being destroyed when we don't listen to his lies. Satan's works are being destroyed when we hope in Christ in each and every moment. But there's more. In the next few verses, verses 4 to 10, John gets really specific 
about sin. Now, how do, what does this have to do with destroying the works of the devil? Well, one of the works of the devil is to tempt us. He wants us to sin. He wants us to get uh, not only uh, tripped up in the sense of, of, of sinning once, he wants us to get ensnared in sin. That's why you have language like that. He's looking for opportunities. He's looking to set traps. He's a hunter. He's shrewd. And so John is saying that those of us who have been saved don't continue to sin. That we don't go on sinning. Now, if all we read were these 10 verses and you had never read any more of the Bible, you could possibly walk away from this thinking that that meant you're supposed to be sinless. But I'm going to trust that we've all read more than just these 10 verses. And if not, I encourage you to read more of the Bible to know that's not what John is saying. Read the whole letter and you'll see this, that we will not know sinlessness in this life. We will continue to sin as long as we're in the flesh, in the body. But there is a day that is coming when we will be freed from these sinful bodies and we will no longer know the, 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 the fight uh, that we have uh, against sin. But while we are in these bodies, John is saying that the fruit of God's love shown to us and the effect of his destruction of Satan's work is this. We die to sin. Habits are broken. Patterns are, are, are smashed. The things that once enslaved us and held us no longer have the same grip. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we struggle. It doesn't mean that something new isn't going to come up tomorrow that we're going to struggle with that we've never struggled with before. I used to say, <clears throat> my dad and my brother, they had an anger problem. I, I didn't have an anger problem. I, my, you know, I had other problems, and I'll tell you about this problem, but my problem wasn't anger. And then... Life kind of fell apart for us, and I was unemployed, and Leslie had to go back to work teaching, and I was a stay-at-home dad with three children, ages four and under. I lasted three months. It was the hardest job I ever had, and I discovered I had an anger problem. <laughs> and it, it hasn't gone away. So don't, don't think that there aren't new struggles coming. God is sanctifying us. He's changing us. But the point is, is that we desire to be pure. Not that we've gotten there, but that's our desire. And so we go to God and we repent when we blow it. So if you're sitting here today thinking, wait a second, maybe this sounds, this sounds like somebody that's much better than me. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Don't hear me saying that at all. Your faith is in Christ. You are held by Him. But there is a battle that we wage against sin. And one of the ways that we have to see progress, because none of us are progressing. I've never met a Christian that says, you know what? I am growing at the rate that I am. I'm just happy with the rate God's, God's growing me. And things are moving along just quickly. Now, I think everyone would agree we wish things moved faster than they do. But the point is, is that we, although we're not perfect, there is progress. And sometimes we have to go back and we have to look five years back and realize, okay, I'm not the same person that I was. God, there is work going on. I, I do see evidence of God's grace. Sometimes we need someone else's help to do this. And this is why we need community, and this is why we need to be in each other's lives, and we need to know each other. Because sometimes the most encouraging thing you will ever receive about your spiritual growth is from a brother or sister in Christ saying, I see change in you. Sometimes we need to hear that. And the only way that can happen is if we know each other and love each other and are involved in each other's lives. 
Now again, you may look at this and say, this really sounds like someone who's much better than me. Hear me out. No one is saved by their good works. No one is saved by their appearance of good works. No one is saved by their good intentions. We could go on with the list. No one is saved by anything other than grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So don't misunderstand me in hearing that your fight against sin means that you're doubting your salvation. You look to Jesus in faith. That's where your salvation is to be found, not in your works. But a result of Jesus saving you means he's not going to leave you the same. God is growing us. We're not where we were just a few years ago. God is faithful to move us beyond habitual sin, beyond the patterns that we're, in which we're enslaved, the kind of sin that snowballs and becomes lethal because of how it weighs us down. God is in the process of delivering us from that so that John can write, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And so for the sake of being crystal clear, if you feel like your sin defines you, controls you, or overpowers you, Look to Jesus in the gospel. Proclaim gospel truth to yourself. Preach to yourself who Christ is and what he has done for you. Look at verse 5. You know that he appeared to take away sins. Write that down. Highlight that. Look at that. Remind yourself of that. This is why Jesus came at Advent, to take away sins. And then look down to verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Remind yourself of that. When you struggle and when you sin, come back to this verse. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Another thing that you could do and reread is what we read together this morning. And this is not Scripture, but it is a distillation. It is a summation. It represents what Scripture teaches. The Westminster Confession of Faith, what we read together this morning... Change, change the, 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 the pronoun there and, and insert yourself. The liberty which Christ purchased for believers under the gospel consists in my freedom from the guilt of sin, from the con- condemning wrath of God and from the curse of the moral law. Furthermore, it consists in my being delivered from this present evil age, from bondage to Satan and from the dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, from the sting of death, from the victory of the grave and from the everlasting damnation. It consists also in my free access to God and in yielding obedience to Him, not out of slavish fear, but out of a childlike love and willing mind. That's what God is doing in you and in me as a result of his great love for us and making us his children. And so now as his children, we can come to this table and approach with confidence and with joy because we know of what God has done for us. Jesus put his love on display for us in coming at Advent He put his love on display for us in his death on the cross. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. Not only are we given in his death and resurrection the forgiveness of sins, we are declared righteous. We are made children, adopted sons, and daughters. We are heirs with Christ. And so may the songs that we sing this season, may the times together, the things that we read, cause us not only to rejoice that Jesus has come, but may it lead us
to say no to sin. May we celebrate the redemption that is ours in Jesus in this season by dying to sin. And let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray today that you would do this work in our hearts to cause us to see this gospel hope that is ours, that we, we, we sing about it, Lord, we, we can recite it, we hear it every week, we read it in our Bibles, but sometimes, Lord, we only seconds later get in situations where we forget it all. We forget what you've done. We forget what you have finished on the cross, what you've declared over us. We forget that our identity has been changed Lord, would you work in us and help us to see the gospel and how it applies day in and day out, that we would proclaim it to ourselves and that we would live lives that proclaim it to others, the hope of Jesus, so that we are not enslaved to sin, but we see continually the works of Satan being destroyed, knowing that there is a day coming when the leash is gone, he's gone, it's all going to be made right. And we long for that day, Lord. But as we continue to fight this battle, would you strengthen us and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray in his name. Amen.